This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Well, good morning. I hope you uh, entered into worship and praise this morning. And um, How many thought it was just too loud in here? Well, maybe, it won't, maybe you won't think that in heaven, but heaven's going to be way louder than that. Can you, imagine, can you imagine sitting with the millions and millions and millions and even billions of saints in the presence of God and singing our victory song? I mean, it's going to be amazing, and no one will have a bad voice. Yeah. Sandy says, Hallelujah. There's hope for us all. Amen. (laughs) Well, last week we started a series on the subject of apologetics or defending your faith. And not that I need to convince you guys of your faith because you're here today, right? There might be one or two of you that are kind of here looking through the knot hole in the fence. And and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But most of you in here this morning, I, I don't need to convince you. My goal in this series is to help equip you to more easily defend your faith when you have to, and to have an answer for those who want to know the reason for the hope that you have within you. First Peter 3.15 says this, and this has been our verse kind of last week, and it's our verse this week, really to, to just zero in on for this whole series. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. I, I just got to say this because I, I just thought of this. When we're in the presence of God and we're singing our hearts out, in worship and in praise, that is revering Christ as Lord. I mean, if Jesus Christ was to come in here and walk across the, 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 down the aisle and then walk right up here on the platform and stand here like this during worship, how many of you would be like, are we um, done with the singing time yet because I'm not much of a singer? Revering Christ as Lord It involves a lot, and one of the things it involves is absolutely engaging in worship and praise, because that's giving him the reverence. It's revering him. It's giving him the reverence that he deserves. But he goes on here to say, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. And so this verse, as far as having that answer, you know, God can, I understand, God can quicken, the Holy Spirit can quicken your spirit and you can have an answer just like that and he can speak through you in a moment and that's wonderful and that's great and I think we need to always listen to the Holy Spirit to give those answers. But there's also something about doing our part, studying, being ready in season and out of season, always having an answer for those questions. And let me tell you, if you actively engage in witnessing at all, you are going to hear a lot of questions. There are gonna be a lot of things asked of you. Most of you haven't experienced that, is that what you're saying? By not saying anything? (laughs) You will. You will absolutely get questioned. I mean, I would go on the job site as an electrician. Some people think that I chose pastoring as my uh, profession. And I'm telling you, I didn't. I I didn't really want to be a pastor. It was just a calling that was on my life that I couldn't get away with, I couldn't get away from. And so I was on the job site as an electrician, and people would drill me with questions all day long. 
Questions about the end times. Question about why does God do, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I mean, tough questions. Guess what? You better have an answer when you're asked those questions. Or you're just gonna be like, well, I don't know, I just have faith, and if you don't like it, then I guess that's your opinion. I mean, if that's the only answer you have, you're, you're not prepared enough. Church, I'm here to equip you. I hope you're with me this morning in that. You feel like being a little equipped today? Pull out your notepads and papers, take pictures of the screen if something comes up that you like, and that's, I find that's the easiest way to take notes because I can't write fast enough, so I just whip up my phone and go, you know? Anybody ever do that? It works, it works. So last week's message centered around the question that every person must answer. Who is Jesus? What are you gonna do with Jesus? As you're talking to people, you can ask that question. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you believe he is? It's a great question because everybody has to come up with an answer. And uh, there are really only three that you can come up, that really you can come up with. And um, we talked about that last week. He was either the greatest liar who ever lived, a completely deranged lunatic, or he was Lord of all, the true Messiah, the Son of God. He was exactly who he said he was. We talked about critical thinking a little bit, which we use to answer the question, who is Jesus? If you're going to apply critical thinking to this question, um, it involves evaluating ideas and objectively analyzing the facts. It's thinking through how you are actually thinking about a topic. In this case, who is Jesus? That's the topic. And even applying the principles of logic. Jesus as a liar makes no sense, does it? because he was one of the greatest moral teachers of all time. His teachings, that have, his, his teachings have actually infiltrated every part, every aspect of our human experience. Teachings about forgiving one another that still stand today, even in psychology and psychiatry, they're using some of the things that Jesus taught. Teachings about loving your neighbor as yourself. Even the golden rule came from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How can an individual be a great moral teacher and be a bold-faced liar at the same time? It just doesn't make sense. And he would have to be a liar in the sense that he claimed to be God if he's not Lord. If he's not Lord, his claim was to be God. If he's not that, then he has to be a liar. How could he be that liar and have all of this great moral teaching at the same time? It doesn't, it doesn't jive. It's not logical. Not to mention the fact that how could someone allow themselves to go to the cross, be tortured for that lie? That doesn't make any sense either. It's not logical to think that Jesus was a liar. Was Jesus a lunatic? That was another thing we covered last week. That makes no sense. Deranged people do not have the clarity of thought and the ability to intellectually stimulate their audiences as Jesus did. Everywhere he went, people followed him. There was masses, there was great numbers of people that wanted to hear him speak. Speak, didn't get all those words out. They wanted to hear him. He stimulated their intellectual, uh, uh, just, just their intellect. He, he stimulated them with his great teaching. Deranged people can't do that. He was poised, he was composed, and there are no recorded instances of him displaying mental imbalance or abnormalities within his personality. There are not recorded instances in the Bible, and there's no recorded instances of that in any other historical literature whatsoever. The only logical option left is to believe that Jesus was and is Lord of all. And if he is Lord, then a choice has to be made. Will you submit to him and the truth that he preached or reject him completely? And Jesus really didn't leave an option of being half in and half out, did he? Not by what he said and what he did. 
And if you believe he was Lord, then you have to believe everything he said. You can't just go in there like it's some kind of spiritual buffet and you can pick this and say, oh, I like this part of what Jesus said, but I don't like what he said over here, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. And I'm gonna invent my own religion and I'm gonna take little bits and pieces from all over. You can't do that with Jesus. You just can't do it. He was either Lord of all or he was a liar or he was a lunatic. And I just press people in that. If I'm talking to them, if I'm engaging in conversation with them about my faith, I'll say, well, who do you think he is? Well, I believe he was a great moral teacher. It's something you'll hear all the time. He was a great teacher. Well, you believe what he said? Well, I don't know if I believe everything he said. Well, was he a great teacher or was he a liar? Do you believe he was a liar? Well, I don't think he was a... See, if you press them, they have to get to that answer. It's just the way it is. And you can do it gently, and nicely and politely, can't you? Sometimes you gotta be in their face a little bit, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and guides you and leads you. You can't be half in and half out. That's just not possible. I don't let people get by with that when I'm talking with them. Yet so many people will try everything they can to diminish or disprove his claims so they can feel okay with just not answering the question of who they believe he is. And don't kid yourself. To, to, uh, your, your answer to this question affects your whole worldview. Hear me. It affects your politics. It affects your politics. I'm just saying that. It affects your politics greatly. It affects what kind of media, be it books, magazine, music, social media, movies, television, etc., that you will allow yourself to see and engage in. It affects everything about your life, how you answer that question. How many movies or television shows can you name that push humanistic and anti-biblical agendas? I mean, I think I, sometimes we, we joke that we say that, oh, the, there, there's, every story's already been told under the sun, and all these Hollywood movies are just copying biblical movies, in a, in a sense. They're, they're using the same storylines, but then they change them and they mess them up. I, a couple that come to mind. How many, how many movies are there about the end of time? You know, the zombie apocalypse. I mean, the zombie apocalypse is not going to happen, folks. There is going to be an apocalypse. They got that part right. Dead people are going to come out of the ground. But they didn't get it all right, did they? <laughs> I think of the movie, uh, The Da Vinci Code, which took an old theory that was proven wrong by everybody. I mean, everybody that studies the word of God, even liberal teachers of the word of God have denounced the ideas that are presented in the Da Vinci Code. It's a joke. And yet, I don't know how many times I've talked to people who say, well, I, I saw the Da Vinci Code and I believe. You better have an answer. You better have an answer. But these kinds of uh, the answer to that question is going to affect everything about your life, your whole worldview. How, I wonder how many political squabbles between parties and ideologies would be resolved if everyone was in agreement that Jesus is Lord and we are not our own gods. It'd change Washington, that's for sure. You see, if the devil, and this is his, this is his trick, if he can cast enough shadow on the truth that Jesus is or isn't who he said he was, if he can cast shadow on that and be like, well, it's kind of muddy waters, I can't really answer that question, then people can feel comfortable in just not answering the question. But the fact is, to not answer the question is to answer the question. 
Did you hear that? To not answer who Jesus is is to answer that you don't believe he is who he said he was and is. Because only an acceptance of the gift of salvation will bring about an individual salvation. You have to receive the gift. You have to take it. You have to receive it, accept it. So this morning, I'm gonna, we, we talked about this Lord, liar, lunatic thing, answering the question who Jesus is. Today, we're going to get into science. What about science? What about science? Science in all of its different disciplines has been used and even abused to draw false conclusions and make false statements that Jesus was not really who he said he was, that the Bible is not reliable, that God doesn't exist, and anyone who does believe in his existence is somehow intellectually inferior. I've been in these conversations where people almost scoff at you when you say you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Pfft. What? Are you some kind of intellectual uh, uh, degenerate? I mean, they, they don't understand. And it's important that you can stand your ground in those moments and not let fear well up in you and then just kind of cower in the corner. Because that's, that's not how God designed us to be, and that's not what he expects us to do with what we can know. There was a teacher who was giving her second grade students a lesson in science. And uh, she explained all about, remember this is second grader, she was explaining all about magnets and, and showed how they could pick up nails and other pieces of metal with iron in it. Then she uh, asked a question to see if they understood. She asked, my name begins with the letter M and I pick up things, what am I? And a little boy probably answered, you're a mother. Okay. This is more than a cute story because it illustrates that sometimes there are several correct answers to a question. Yes, the word magnet begins with M, and magnets pick up things, but the word, the word mother also begins with M, and how many mothers in here this morning would say that you have spent some time picking some, th- some things up? All right? Not that you should have to, but I'm just saying you've done it. So let's talk about science this morning. Let's Start with the theory of evolution. Charles Darwin, let's hear a big boo for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Charles Darwin came up with this theory. And remember that a theory is just an idea. It's a possibility, if you will, that has not yet been proven as fact. But step into any public school science class, and you'd never know that evolution is merely a theory. It has been taught and presented as fact within our education system for decades. And let me, let me say this, for all those public school teachers who are forced to teach those things and they just kind of will downplay the whole theory of evolution, thank you. <laughs> because my kids growing up in public school actually got a lot of teachers that way. They had some other ones too, but most of their teachers were pretty darn good. And thank God for private school that, that teaches the truth, right? I'm thankful for Christian schools that do that. So, you know, we, want, we, want, we don't want to say that everybody is guilty of that, obviously, but a large de- to the lar- a large degree, many science classes in public schools, I mean, just teach it as fact. And, and you, can't, you, you can't even say anything to the teacher. They won't, they, won't, they won't let you speak. They won't even consider something as crazy as creation science. So many variations of this theory have been taught and presented that, it, that, that, that is apparent. Uh, it, it's, 
It's like they get proven wrong, and so they adjust it and adjust it and adjust it again. And as you go through and you start studying evolution, I kind of boned up on the whole, uh, the whole study again of evolution and what they actually believe. It has changed so many times, and, and there's so many variations of it, and there's so many textbooks with different information in it that you can't possibly, they can't possibly even know what they believe when it comes to evolution. It's like it varies with person to person. There's no cohesiveness to the theory. And still, it's clearly laid out as fact. I graduated from a high school in 1990. That's 30 years ago almost. And I remember being taught by our teacher and reading in our textbook that the human appendix is useless. Now understand, I went to a small school, we had old books. Right? Small schools don't get new books all the time. But we were taught that the human appendix is useless and was proof of our own adaptative uh, evolution. They deduced that it was the equivalent of a gizzard in a chicken or a bird that the human body no longer needed to have but was still there. So I was sitting in class probably as a 7th or 8th grader and the teacher was discussing how our, our uh, appendix is really a gizzard. Leftover genetic information, it's a gizzard. Now that theory was proven wrong way before um, I was an eighth grader. But it was in textbooks and it was wrong. And it, it, it was there to show that you know, we had evolved, laid out as fact. The problem with it is, is it, it's located in the, in the wrong place. Uh, gizzards are located between the stomach and the mouth in order for uh, uh, rocks to go in. I don't know, anybody cleaned chicken before? I'm a farm kid. I cleaned chicken. Cleaned a lot of them. Used to pull the BBs that we shot the chickens with out of their gizzards because they'd always eat the BBs. Remember that? Did I just say that on live stream? Oh, whoops. I was a bad kid. It was before Jesus, all right? But you'd open up those gizzards and you'd find rocks and sometimes BBs, but rocks. And what they would do is as they ate their food, those rocks would grind their food up for them. It's a, it's a process of digestion. It's not... Uh, I mean, for a, for a bird. Well, in a human, our gizzard is between, isn't it between our small intestine and large intestine? And it is not between our mouth. It, it, it's in the wrong spot. That's what I'm saying. It's in the wrong location. It doesn't work out. And it's been proven wrong many times. But it was still presented as fact. It's completely false, but presented as fact. I, I mean, I, I'll just, I'm going to keep going with this a little bit. I, I remember when I was in seventh grade, or no, I'm sorry, not, not seventh grade. It was like... Um, uh, fourth grade. I remember weekly readers. You guys remember weekly readers? They were how many? How many loved the weekly reader time? Because you didn't have to listen to the teacher just talk. You know, you got some time to read the read the material. And they had some fun puzzles on them, especially the the ones that were made for younger kids. But I remember there was a there was an article in the weekly reader. I think I was fourth grade or so. But it was it was talking about how there would be a and I'll rem I remember this vividly. There would be an ice age by the year 2013. Okay, um, that's global cooling, by the way. Fear of another ice age. I mean, it, it, was, it was like, it scared me to death. I, that's why I remember it. I was scared of it. Of course, we get closer to that time period, and then we hear about global warming, and now it's global climate change because they can't decide if it's global warming or global cooling. Um, just heard the other day that we, we may be in for a food shortage in the next few years because of, the global climate, because of global climate change. And it was proven by scientists. Like everything in the weekly reader, you know? 
I'm kind of shaking in my boots. That's why I had to sing that song about when I stand in your love, my fear doesn't have a chance because I'm fearful we're going to run out of food in the next five years because of global cooling. I'm telling you, I'm scared to death about it. Can you tell? (laughs) Oh, yeah, by the way, eggs. You can eat those now. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Oh, and the world, it's round, it's not flat. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. We come up through, the scientific community comes up with these theories that, that basically try to disprove at their very source, the, the very heart of their, their theories is let's prove that God isn't real and that we are our own gods. That's really what it's all about. Oh yeah, and Pluto isn't a planet, I found that out too. It's like a space rock or something, they call it. I don't know. Theory of evolution is like this. It concluded that through random processes, which occurred over billions of years, that it created the first materials that eventually became the first living cells, then continued to adapt and evolve from one cell organisms to more complex organisms, and then eventually into animals and then into human beings. And even though the theory has been, again, discredited and proven wrong by even unbelievers, you will still hear on the Discovery Channel or read in the science journals that phrase. I hear it all the time, billions of years ago. (laughs) Well, where does that come from? Where's the evidence for the earth being billions of years old? I'm telling you, it doesn't exist. That comes from the idea that in order for evolution to work, the earth has to be billions of years old. This is because, yeah, that's the only way it's believable anyway. The age of the earth must be millions, if not billions of years old, so it's automatically assumed within many corners of science community that the earth being that old is just fact because evolution says it is, so now it's just fact. But it's not been proven. I'll give you some proof that the earth is only a maximum of 10,000 years old. Maybe six. Every year, the Mississippi River dumps about 300 million cubic yards of sediment into the Gulf of Mexico. If the earth is billions of years old, the entire gulf would be a prairie. It's just something you can measure. If you measure the actual sedimentary deposits, the earth, according to that, is about 4,000 years old. The earth's rotation is constantly slowing down. If you do the math going back billions of years ago, the earth would have been spinning so fast that it would be in the shape of a pancake by now or it would have been broken apart. It couldn't have spun that quickly. Uh, Another measurement that's been done, meteoric uh, dust uh, has been falling at a constant rate of 14 million tons per year. If the earth was 5 billion years old, there would be a layer 182 feet across the whole earth, oceans included. This would also have happened on the moon. And case in point, NASA was very concerned about this when they uh, put a man on the moon for the first time. They worried that the Apollo lunar module would sink into the dust. However, upon arriving, they found a thin layer, only about an eighth of an inch. This is more proof that the earth is actually quite young. And there's more. There's many, many more. And you can get into that and and hop on some of the Creation Research Institute uh, pages and find so much on that if that subject interests you. But those are just a few. The scientific method, which is used to test scientific theories, involves repeating something over and over in a lab. That's how the scientific method is used. That's how we we get our our data from it. 
Measurements are taken, data is collected, and the theories are proven to be fact. When they're proven to be fact, they become scientific law. But measuring how we came into existence, repeating our origin, it can't be done. So it's difficult to use a scientific method and apply it to creation or evolution science because you can't repeat it. And just to plug creation science a little bit here, um, I, I, I want to give you a, uh, an illustration and understand this subject is vast. I can't possibly cover all the science stuff in one service. Dive into it and find answers. It's your job to equip yourself, right? It's my job to help equip you, but you got to do some work too and equip yourself. Get some reading out. But I want, I want to show you something just really simple. And I've used this many times in talking with people about the Lord. Do you know what this is, Eric? You don't? If I was to say, what is this, what would you say? A two-by-four, that's exactly right. I mean, we should give him a gift card for knowing that. I'll settle for a handshake. But that's a two-by-four, right? Is that what it is? Okay. Would you say that? Would you examine that for me? Pretty straight? It's plumb? Not warped? Okay, I want you to know where I found this. I was down uh, behind my house, back down the hill, and I was um, digging around with the, my, uh, my Toro Dingo, which I purchased from Roy, <laughs> which I love that thing. Thank you, Roy, if you're listening. But this was stuck in the ground, and I discovered it, and I was like, this is awesome. I found this in the dirt, and I knew right away that it was unique because how could a tree form into this all on its own? Why are you laughing? I found it in the woods. I mean, the random processes that it would take to make this thing perfectly straight with corners on all sides. I mean... This is like the eighth wonder of the world. How did that happen all by itself? And nobody in their right mind would say that that was the case. That a two by four could happen through a process that was random, but if you add a billion years, then it could, right? No, because it'd rot and it wouldn't even be in existence, right? I think it's really interesting that nobody would believe a two-by-four could form through random processes. They, everybody believes that this was created, right? By intelligent design. It was created. I don't know who cut it. Somebody milled it. Somebody ran it through a planer. Somebody cut it. Some intelligent human being did that, right? That's not hard to believe. We know that that's true. But take the human body, which is so complex that people don't even understand it, and we say, oh, random processes. It doesn't make sense. That illustration alone will mess people's thinking up. And go ahead, mess their thinking up. Because it's ridiculous to think that a two-by-four happened through random processes. But how much more ridiculous is it to believe that the human body evolved over billions of years through those same random processes or, or through various random processes, and we became who we are today. Doesn't make any sense. No one in their right mind would believe that it just happened randomly. In fact, 
I would argue that if billions of years went by, it actually makes it more probable. If it makes it more probable that we happened by chance, it also makes it more probable that we didn't have it by chance. If you ever took a stats class in college, uh, one of the things that I learned is that one chance in 10 to the 150th power, that was the definition of zero probability. Okay, people a lot smarter than I uh, have tried to calculate the probability of just the beginning stages of evolution, specifically the origins of amino acids. And it was found that the probability of these amino acids forming through random processes neared one in 10 to the 104th power. Now remember, one in 10 to the 50th power is zero probability. I mean, one in 10 to the 104th power is exponentially incredibly less probable than zero probability. But you can't say that because you can't get any less probable than zero. Is your head hurting yet? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Science itself says zero probability, and yet much of the science community says, nope, has to be that way. Why? Because they don't want to have to believe that there is a God that they must be accountable to. It all comes down to that. Talk about the science of genealogy. It's blown up, basically, discussion of evolution in regards to our origins. I don't have enough time to get into all this morning, but current advances in this particular science are literally proving that we were created by intelligent design. Our, our ability to check DNA now across species and track back through generations has blown the theory off the map. I mean, it's just, it's blown it out of the water. But you sure don't hear about that too much, do you? Don't want to admit that, don't want to get to that, that, to that conclusion. Geology, the study of earth and its physical structure and its substances and its history and the processes that acted on it. Uh, when you dig and study the earth's sedimentary layers, there is no place on earth that, that, that gives you great evidence for the earth being billions of years old. You know, sedimentary layers over millions of years, they layer, 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 layer. The best example, I'm told, is the, uh, the Grand Canyon, which is missing like 650 million years or some crazy number like that. It's just not in the rocks. You cannot find that evidence there. You can't find it in the fossil record either. The evidence is just not there. You know, you guys may have heard of a ministry called Answers in Genesis, founded by Ken Ham. Uh, this is the ministry that opened the Noah's Ark Experience in Kentucky. How many have been to the Noah's Ark Experience? Is it worth going to? Yeah, yeah pretty awesome, isn't it? I have not been there yet. I want to. But uh, I brought a man in to speak from Australia when I was ministering in South Dakota um, named John McKay, and he happened to be um, one of Ken Ham's teachers. And so he was, uh, he was an older guy and uh, a nice, nice man, brilliant. He was the, probably the most intelligent person I've ever been around in my life. Sorry, Alyssa, but he was. Uh, John's, uh, he, he was an amazing teacher, speaker, author, and um, he still does, he did, and he still does a lot of field work. He doesn't do a lot of the, the I mean, he does a lot of teaching and things, he, some book writing, but he's, he's probably not as big a name as Ken Ham, obviously. But what he does do is spends a lot of time digging in the rocks and digging up fossils. In fact, one of my dreams was to do a creation dig with him out in the, in the, uh, uh, oh, the Badlands in South Dakota because he, he loves to do creation digs. Like, let's dig for fossils and find evidence for creation. Quite a guy. But he, uh, he showed a picture 
of a fossilized tree standing straight up that was in a coal mine that he observed in Australia that was growing through millions of years of sedimentary deposits. How does that happen? If it takes millions of years for sediments to layer themselves, how does a tree grow through it all? It'd rot off and die. It would, it would die and rot off, I should say, before it ever got to be that old. But it, would, it had grown through there. And um, I watched him debate one time a whole panel of scientists that had all sorts of publications and books for ammunition, which... You know, they're sitting there on one side, he's on the other side, and they're, they're coming up with all their information and all their, their, their rock-solid facts. And he would come up, and he had a vest on, and he'd pull out a fossil, and he'd pull out a fossil, and he totally blew them out of the water. In fact, by the time I had him in, I tried to get a debate on the, on the campus of uh, SDSU for creation versus evolution, and nobody in our campus, those esteemed educators, no one would, would even consider uh, debating him once they found out who he was because they knew that he would lose. You know, and he always say, it's easy to win when you're right. When the truth's on your side, it's easy to win those kind of debates. But he was amazing. Had all sorts of things to say about uh, fossils, but, but that was the thing that struck, struck me the most is in the fossil records, he said, I've dug for many, many years and there is not one thing piece of evidence I've ever found that upholds this idea of evolution. And you think, you know, through millions of years, we we were supposed to transform and mutate and adapt into different, you know, these in-between creatures. They're nowhere in the fossil record. They're just not there. The half man, half bird, the, you know, all these things, they're just not there. I mean, have you heard of Nebraska man? Nebraska man ended up, I mean, this was, we finally found the missing link, right? We finally found it. The science community was just elated. They found the missing link. It ended up being, just digging Nebraska, it ended up being a pig bone. About this big. And they said, this is the missing link, and they drew this whole body around it. That's their science, folks. And understand, when science gets in Christians' faces, and I've seen this so many times, Christians back away and say, well, I don't know how to defend that. That's science. You can't argue with science. Are you kidding me? Get in the book, the word of God, number one, and get into some study of some of these things, and you will find there is so much ammo. You can be armed and dangerous when it comes to dealing with scientific arguments that are coming at you. I mean, John McKay literally defeated in debate the top people, the top scientists in their fields with fossils he carried in his pocket. Incredible. Consider the science of anthropology. Studies show that even the most primitive and remote peoples of the world have a universal belief in God. How can that be if God isn't real, if he didn't exist? Why, how does that happen? I mean, people from all over the world who had no contact with each other, remote people groups, all believe in God. Explain that. Because you would think that some would and some won't, or maybe one would, or you know, how did they all? And you know, not only, not only did they believe in God, they, they were all monotheistic in their original beliefs. One God. Even the polytheistic, the many God kind of people, cultures, they, you can trace them back, they're one God. One God belief systems. Consider... I'm just throwing different science things at you. Consider the second law of thermodynamics. 
It says that the state of entropy of the entire universe as an isolated system will always increase over time. What is entropy? Entropy is the gradual decline or a gradual decay. So this means that science itself has concluded and put into scientific law that everything in the universe is in a progressively state of, a, of decay. So it's, it's continuing to decay and it's increasing in its rate of decay. This describes basic uh, principles familiar in everyday life. I mean, it's the kind, uh, it is kind of like a universal law of decay, you could say it that way. The ultimate cause of why everything ultimately falls apart. Turn to your spouse and say, that's why you're looking older. <laughs> we'll have a marriage night coming up here sometime and maybe we'll... That's why everything falls apart. It disintegrates over time. Material things are not eternal. Huh, I didn't know that. Doesn't the Bible say that? Rust and, rust and, and, and decay is going to come on everything, isn't it? Where rust and moth destroy, right, is the scripture. Everything appears to be changing or eventually is going to change. We, we know that. And chaos increases. Nothing stays as fresh as the day you buy it. Clothing becomes faded. We get older and everything returns ultimately to dust. Everything ages and wears out. Even death is a manifestation of this law. The effects of the second law are all around, touching everything in the universe. But the theory of evolution says this got better. It started here billions of years ago, and for billions of years, through mutations and adaptation, it's gotten better and better and better and better and better and better and better. And so we're this unbelievable creature. They wouldn't say creature because that implies created. Were we created? <laughs> I, I can tell the difference between a creation and something that was, create, or that was, that was uh, formed through random processes. Created. Created. Wonderfully designed. I am wonderfully designed. You are too. That's, that's, that's something that should affect your belief about who you are. Do you know, think about just self-image. I like to call it Christ image, but image, the way you view yourself. If you happen through random processes because a couple of blobs got together and lightning struck it and boom, 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 and then there's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And somehow, some way, you crawled up out of the ooze and then developed into some fish, rel I don't know, reptile, whatever. And then you were hairy like a monkey at some point, and then now you're who you are, right? That affects your self-image. But if I know I'm fearfully and wonderfully created by the God of the universe, and he, he, he made me, he created me, he knit me together, I, I mean, I'm a masterpiece in progress, and so are you. We are his masterpiece, folks. That affects how I view myself. I don't look in the mirror and go, oh, I'm an ugly result of random processes that crawled out of blobs. <laughs> I'm like, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And if I'm having a bad day, a hair day, who cares? Just, just some food for thought. This kind of stuff's important because it affects how we think. This law of thermodynamics, the scientific law, everything's in a state of decay. But evolution doesn't go by that, okay? 
all right, that's great science, I guess. We know that there is one thing that usurps the law of thermodynamics, and it's the hand of God. He still performs miracles, and we understand that even though we are all aging, that we have a new body and a new heaven and a new earth waiting for us in eternity. So in that sense, every day we are moving closer to perfection. And that's cool. But how sad to live in an existence in which our outlook and hope are dependent exclusively upon moving closer or exclusively upon the natural laws that we are subject to in this life. I mean, if it's just natural laws, that's not much hope, is there? You wonder why so many people are angry. They have no hope. Let's talk about the scientific law of cause and effect. It states that for every effect, there is a definite cause. Likewise, for every cause, there's a definite effect. In other words, according to science, there has to be a cause to why we exist. Again, the evidence is not good for evolution and random processes. So why is it hard to deduce that God is the cause and we are the effect? Because if that's true, they have to admit there's a God and then they have to be subject to him. I'm going to read to you Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read you the whole chapter, but I'm going to paraphrase it really well. So I didn't put it up on the screen, but just go back and read Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, here's the cause, let there be light. Does that sound like God? It woke some of you up. And there was light. And then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. Cause and effect. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. Verse 11. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they come. And that is what happened. Verse 13, then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Verse 15, let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. Skip to verse 20. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened, cause and effect. God spoke, it happened. Somebody said, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke, bang, it happened. Here we go. Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea. And by the way, when we say us, God is three-part. He is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's Trinity right there, right? If you want a scripture for the Trinity, there it is. He is one God, but he is three parts. If you can't understand it, then you don't believe in eggs either because they're one egg in three parts. But anyway, that's a whole other subject. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals will scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God spoke, and it happened, cause and effect. Everything around us screams, screams intelligent design. If the earth was any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. If it was any further away, we'd freeze. 
The human body itself is so complex and is still largely a mystery to human sciences. How does the heart, which is a blood pump made of living tissue, how does it function? How does it work? It pumps roughly 1,500 to 2,000 gallons of blood per day. That's an average of over 51 million gallons of blood in a lifetime. Humans can't make pumps that do that. Out of iron or metal or whatever material you make them. There isn't a material that exists that you can make a pump like that. That will last for 80 years or more. 89 years. Yes, the medical science can do a lot. But you know, even heart transplants, when they happen... They clamp off the arteries. They take the heart which is on ice, the one that they're going to transplant in. They take the old heart out. They put the new heart in, the non-beating heart. They put it in. They open up the clamps after they sew them together and the arteries are all attached. And what happens when the blood hits the heart? The heart starts beating instantly. They don't have to shock it. Nobody knows why that works. But the scriptures say the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Just because we can't understand something doesn't mean it's not true. And to come up with theories and try to use science, I mean, honestly, when it all comes down to it, I've said it before, I'll say it again, all of that community that tries to just discredit Scripture, discredit the claims of Jesus Christ and of God's existence, all of it boils down to one thing. They don't want to submit to a holy God. That's what it comes down to. Only a fool would declare that there is no God. That Jesus isn't who he said he was. And the only reason they try so hard to do it is just because they don't want to have to submit. Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Blaise Pascal, the great French mathematician, a numbers guy through and through, invented uh, theories and theorems and mathematics that are still used even today. He said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Albert Einstein said of him that he was one of the world's most intelligent people of all time. He says, my religion consists of a humble admiration of the illuminate superior spirit who reveals himself in the slight details we are able to perceive with our frail and feeble minds. That deeply emotional conviction of the presence of a superior reasoning power, which is revealed in the incomprehensible universe, forms my idea of God. I mean, these are some of the greatest minds of philosophy and science that the world has ever known, and most of all of these individuals, even like them, uh, have quotes to this effect. To not believe in God takes more faith than to believe everything that Jesus said of his Father and that he said of himself. And I want, I want to give you one last quote here. Herbert Spencer, who was one of the founders of agnosticism, and agnosticism is uh, kind of like, well, there might be a guy, but he doesn't care about us and, you know, whatever. He's just there, and, and, but, but we really don't. He, he, we're unimportant to him, okay? Which is not true. Agnosticism... Uh, he was a founder of it, Herbert Spencer. He made the, uh, the observation that a bird has never uh, been known to fly into outer space. Therefore, he concluded through analogy 
that it is impossible for the finite to penetrate the infinite. And this was correct. His, his problem was that the M maybe didn't just stand for magnet. It could have stood for mother as well. You see, the finite, that's you and I. We are finite beings. We are not infinite beings in our current state. Okay, that's us. He missed it in the fact that he never considered that the infinite, who is God, could penetrate the finite. And that is exactly what our infinite God did for us when he sent his son to die a death that we deserve to die. And to die in our place as an atonement for what we had done, our sins. Jesus dying for us, paying the penalty for our sin that we owed opened the door for us as finite beings to enter into a relationship with the eternal God. And this is something that, again, you start getting into scientific discussions. If you will do the work, study to show thyself approved, as the word of God says, you'll be armed and dangerous, and there's not a question that science could ask you or put in your face that you couldn't have a great answer for. And you could use science itself, logic, philosophy. You can use all of those to come right back to the conclusion that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. God is real. All the word of God is true. And uh, we are subject to it. Church, the best offense is to have a great offense. We all know that the power of prayer coupled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, the, and a solid foundation of the word of God are all part of the weaponry in our offensive arsenal. We know that. But often we overlook the importance of always being ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is within us. So I, I just want to really encourage you. Strive. Strive to become a people that is armed and dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. I said something in worship this morning. You know, wouldn't it be nice if the devil was fearful of us? You say, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to tick the devil off. I just want to kind of fly under the radar. I don't. I have a God who can protect me from everything that he could throw at us. And you do too. We don't have to live in fear of what the devil might do for us if we tick him off. Let's live our lives that we become a force that can't be reckoned with by the kingdom of darkness because we're so full of God and we're so full of all uh, that he wants us to be and do, that, and we're doing it, that we just cause the kingdom of darkness to tremble. And maybe the kingdom of darkness should know your name. I think there were some demons that said that once. Paul, I know, but who the heck are you? You know? That's what the demon said to the seven sons of Sceva, right? Is that right, Pastor Jared? We ought to be known because we're so full of all that we need to be full of. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.